0: About the second time that we did the uh, parking lot party, somebody got the bright idea of saying, we need a little incentive to get the candy. (laughs) And the target was 700 pounds, as I recall. And they said, uh, if we get 700 pounds, can we do something to (laughs) you? And I said, well, you you can cut my hair off.
1: The offer is still there.
0: (laughs) You know? You know, it shocked my hair so bad it never did grow back. But just, just to show that I'm not bitter, here's my contribution for the candy. Now, Clara, how old are you? 19. Yeah, you were born after we came here. What year were you we born? 2001. Okay, that was the year that we came. You know, I want to say something that if you're new in the church, you're taking some things for granted, and I want to make sure you don't, and that is the presence of all the young people here. Claire was just a kid running around in church, and uh, Jesse was just a kid photobombing when my dad and I had a picture taken, (laughs) and here they are leading worship. Awesome. 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 Um, I could have added a point to my sermon, but I won't because it's probably long enough already. Um, just a, a word about the ministry that I'm part of, the Baptist Network Northwest, and that you're part of. I put my display up over here, and if you want to learn a little bit more about the network of churches that this church is part of, you can check that out. You can sign up for our newsletter and for my personal a missionary newsletter uh, which both of them come out every so often whenever it feels like a good day to do that and uh, so that is there. There's also a couple of freebies there if you want to take something to help you remember to pray for me they're there for you too. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14 please. Uh, whenever I go to uh, an overnight uh, ministry assignment um, when I'm far enough away from home to be overnight i always plan an extra day at least or two so i can visit some pastors in the area or uh, other other ministry that might need to be done and and uh, i did that this week on the way up here i stopped and saw two of our pastors uh, one of which had a stroke and his primary symptom is he can't talk and i mean he's regaining it they predict a full recovery but uh wow uh, what a challenging thing so a few months ago, I went to Oregon uh, to uh, speak at a church there, and planned a few extra days. And I uh, came through Salem and picked up our business manager, and and then uh, went on to uh, Lebanon, Oregon, where one of my college roommates owns a, uh, a, a restaurant. Wanted to have lunch there, and we met one of our other pastors there for lunch. And then my roommate and his wife uh, joined us for lunch, and we're we're kind of small talking along, and and uh, and. And and if any of you don't know me very well and don't know um, my recent story, my wife died uh, back in February, and so that's a kind of a topic of thought for folks. And so we're we're chit-chatting along, and pretty my roommate, who's not a real eloquent kind of guy, but he says, "Well, there's just no easy way to say this. It's kind of awkward. But how are you doing?" (laughs) And apparently, it was hard for him to ask that question because he thought maybe I would be offended, or it would be too emotional for me, or whatever. Um, I get that question asked just about everywhere I go, and uh, I'm a little overwhelmed with all the love and support, but I'm I'm happy to share my story. I also get asked another question just about everywhere I go. They'll say, how are the churches doing? Or how is the BNN doing? They, you know, um, um, uh, next week I'll be in Idaho, and I wouldn't be surprised, but somebody there will say, how's it going? And I'm going to tell them how great this church is. (laughs) Yeah. And how great their former pastor was. <laughs> I mean, their pastor. Their pastor is. <laughs> oh. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul got asked the same questions. How are you, and how are the churches? Look at Acts 14, starting in verse 21. And when they, that's uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, Acts 14, 21. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, And there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended, to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. In other words, in today's term, that was their sending church as missionaries. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In that spirit today, I just want to share, as I've titled my sermon, there's some notes in the bulletin, if that'll help you. I've titled it, um, A Few Things That I've Learned. Um, I'm going to uh, break the primary rule of preaching, which is I'm not going to attempt to preach. I'm going to share. And uh, if something is pointed enough to poke you, then take that as the Lord's sermon for you. But I want to share a few things that I've learned about churches and a few things that I've learned about life. And uh, the first thing is this. God's standard of evaluation for churches is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness, uh, that's kind of an awkward word, fruitful is more common, but this word was coined by the author of one of the books that I read in my, in my doctoral program, and uh, when I read it, I thought, man, that is it, that is something that we have been missing in our thought about the church. We read this scripture from John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the, the, uh, you might think of it as the trunk and the branch. That's what he's saying. I am the true trunk. My father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Um, This might be a little bit of a duh for some of you, but there's a couple of contrary thoughts that we have to consider. What other standards other than fruitfulness do people judge their church by? Well, the first one is faithfulness. And they say, we are being faithful to God. And what that means is, we are truer to God's word than all the other churches in our area. Uh, Now, you say, well, that sounds kind of arrogant. I don't know whether it's arrogant or not. But I think somewhat mistakenly, people get to thinking, we're the truest disciples in Ferndale, in Bellingham, in wherever you happen to be. And the follow-up sentence is this, and that's why no one wants to come to our church. It's we four, and we wish there were more, but we're just being faithful. And um, I, I had a pastor in a very large city in a very prosperous neighborhood with a visible building and a great parking lot on a main street tell me people just don't want to come to church here. You're right. They don't want to come to your church. Okay. But we we pick up the standard because it sort of salves our soul when the fruit isn't happening. Now, there's another standard that people like, and that's the standard of growth. And what they mean by that is we are growing, or we are so large, we are large, so we must be doing what God wants because growth is the prime evidence of God's blessing. Now, this is what they say. I'm not telling you this is the truth, okay? Um, would I would I have to delve too far into Google to find a church that was very large and suddenly collapsed because of sin, especially in the leadership? I wouldn't have to go too far, and yet in our American society, especially, maybe in the whole world. I don't know, but it's like, well, if it's big, it must be great. It must be God's blessing. And and we have to struggle back against that and say, wait a minute. What did God say is the mark of a true disciple? Well, it's here in John chapter 15. You could read the whole chapter at your leisure. And he just says, if you're bearing fruit, you're a true disciple. That's the goal. In fact, what he says is, and, and I hope to write a sermon on this one of these days, He says, if you're bearing fruit, I'll prune you. You know what that means, don't you? That means if you're bearing fruit, I'm going to bring difficulty into your life so that you'll bear more fruit. See, we're happy. It's like, hey, look at the fruit. And God comes along and says, I want you to do more fruit. And you go, this is enough. (laughs) It's one of the things that I've told people about Sue's illness and her home going it's easy for us to to come to the altar and say oh God use me however you will and I feel like he's in heaven going really you mean that God wants us to bear fruit we need to ask some questions like this am I more like Christ this year than last year now I know that's a subjective thing but maybe there are some difficult areas in your life, and you know they're there. And so one of the ways to evaluate yourself is to say, do I get angry less than I used to? Do, am I more patient than I used to? One of, the, one of the aspects of spiritual growth that just shocked me about myself, and I don't say this arrogantly, glory to God, is get crossing over some kind of a bridge to where I became the guy going, it's okay, just take it easy, we're going to get there. Because I used to be that guy on the other side going, let's go, let's go, let's go. I don't know how that happened, but we need to look at at things like the fruit of the Spirit and say, is there more fruit in my life? See, the fruit that Jesus is talking about is, first of all, godly character. And second of all, it's more disciples. But we need to say, are we more godly? I I don't know as a church how you can evaluate that. I mean, I know churches do surveys, you know, how much do you read your Bible, how much do you pray, you know, this, that, and the other, and, and, uh, but there, there needs to be a certain mentality that says that what we're after is our people walking with Christ better next year than this year. Um, frankly, the encouragement that you're given to Becky Hansen shows that that's your target. You're saying, Becky, you know, we love you but there's some work that needs to be done. Praise the Lord that you're willing to do that because it's so easy just to say, well, la, 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 you know, whatever. And and that needs to be happening with all of us. Are we more like Christ this year than last year? And a a follow-up question, are, are any new disciples being made through me or us? There ought to be some water in the baptistry every so often. Not not in the basement. Unless you're having one of those mega baptisms. For those of you that are real new in the church, some of the water in the baptistry got into the basement. That's why it's closed right now. Um, There ought to be disciples being made we we ought to know if we're engaged in that process am i helping somebody grow in the lord it could be casual it could be could be very you know um, organized i could be a sunday school teacher it could be this could be that but the question is are we making new disciples that's what fruitfulness is about and then we could ask the question if we wanted to evaluate ourselves and our church to what degree Do we obey the word of God? Now, you say, to what degree? Well, all of us like some of the Bible. Don't murder. Yeah. I preached through the Ten Commandments once. My dad called me that week and said, what are you preaching on this week? I said, murder. He said, what are you going to say? I'm against it. (laughs) We're all against that. We're all against a lot of other stuff. But then it comes down to gossip honesty, you know. So to what degree, um, to what degree do you practice giving all of your cares to God? According to Philippians 4, 6, you know, don't worry, but give your concerns to God. To what degree are you doing that? Are you doing that more this year than you were last year? Is the church doing that more? Fruitfulness. God's standard of evaluation for churches is fruitfulness. And so, What are a couple things that are true of a fruitful church? And again, why am I sharing this with you? If you ask me, how are the churches? And if you really wanted to know what makes a church fruitful, I'm going to share a couple things with you. What I like to say, because it's always hard to know what to say, how are the churches doing? I said, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I could tell you about some churches that are doing an outstanding job, and I could tell you some churches that are about to die. What I'd rather tell you is why, and here's the number one reason, a fruitful church has godly, wise, strong leadership. From Hebrews 13, two verses that it's hard for a pastor to preach on because it sounds self-serving, but I'm not the pastor here, so I can wail away on it. Look at this, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you. Clearly the ruling is connected to the word of God, so it's talking about the elders of the church. Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. The basis of following the elders is the quality of their life, not their position. We shouldn't ever call an elder or vote for an elder. Because he's been here a long time, because he's popular, because he's rich or anything like that, we should look at him and say, that's a guy who I'm willing to follow. And then when he becomes, has the position of an elder, we need to follow him because of the quality of his life. Now, that's a terrible pressure. We call that living in the fishbowl. You know what? That's the job. And, I, and I'm very cognizant of that. There's, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I don't want to wait in line either. And I'd like to make some snarky remarks once in a while. But that person might happen to go to church where I preach next week. And so, and then there's later in the chapter is this, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they're watching out for your souls. You cannot imagine what that's like. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You will answer for your Christian life at the Bemis seat of Christ, at the judgment seat, but your pastor will answer for how he attempted to lead you, okay? It's a dual thing. He's not responsible for your life totally, but he has a responsibility to be faithful to God's word and to try and do the right things and lead you in the right way. And so what this scripture is saying, why would you buck against that? Uh, the reason that we buck against it, in part, is our American culture. And, and you, you, you can't realize this until you go to a place with a tribal culture. But in a tribal culture... They have the opposite problem we do. In the tribal culture, a place like Togo, the problem there is the pastor gets too powerful too easy because he's seen as the chief of the church, the chief of the village, chief of the church. And he has to step back from that and try not to exert too much influence. In our American society, we believe in the rights of the individual. You have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if anybody gets in your way, you just push them out. And so we come to church thinking it's about me and, and not willing to understand. God says this is a community structure, and we have got to work together, and we've got to follow the leadership. What happens when we don't like it is we're tempted to just move on. You know, there was a fellow on a deserted island, and he, he was shipwrecked and he got found eventually, and when they found him, this is what it looked like. And they said, "They said, what are those little buildings?" And uh, he said, "He said, well, that's my house." And they said, "What's that one?" He said, "That's my church." And they said, "What's that one?" He said, "That's the church I used to go to." <laughs> Don't be that guy. We need to, a, a fruitful church has godly, wise, strong leadership. What happens when we push back against the leadership is the temptation is for the leadership to do like this and just pull in and say, Boy, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to stick my head out. I'm not going to, as we say, stick my neck out because it got whacked the last time I did it. And you know what happens to those churches? I, I call it being in ventricular fibrillation. When your heart goes into ventricular fibrillation, it's going like this it's not beating. So the blood doesn't get circulated. And that's when the paramedics take those paddles out and they go and get that thing beating again. Churches, they look like things are going on, but there's real no production, there's no real fruitfulness. See, what happens is, it's like the days of the judges. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And God has provided leadership for us. We need to follow along. A fruitful church also, though, has serving members. These familiar verses describe it to us. Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, from whom the whole body... Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or building up of itself in love. Uh, a, a pastor who was new in his church told me that the previous pastor did everything. He said he mowed the lawn. If the furnace needed fixing, he fixed it. He, he, he did the pastoral work. He just kind of did everything. And so when this new fellow came, they sat at a, at a meeting with the leaders, and they said, well, the furnace needs fixing. And then they looked at him, and he just looked back at them. <laughs> uh, things do rise and fall on leadership, but good leadership develops good, good followers and good servants, and we need Uh, We need uh, the leaders to lead, and we need the servants to serve. Fruitful churches have members that are doing ministry. Fruitful churches understand that the church is an outpost, not a rest stop. An outpost. What do I mean by an outpost? Early in my service with the BNN, which now is almost four years ago, I read a book by a man in a position like mine with a group of like 300 churches down in California, and he discovered the number one problem of churches that keeps them from growing. And that number one problem was this. They, the members view the church as the place that takes care of them, and the pastor's primary job is to be their personal chaplain. Rather than seeing the church like this, Jesus says to Peter, "'You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it.'" Now, the gates in that day, the gates would be a reference to the gates of a city. And when one city, you know, they had city countries, if you will. I mean, we, we think of a big, huge country. This, the country then could have been as big as the area around a city. And when that city decided they wanted to conquer the next city, they would bring their army, and as their army was coming, all the people of this city would run inside and shut the gates to protect themselves from the army. Now, they had methods to uh, breach the gates. They were time-consuming and difficult and so on, but it was possible to breach the gate. Jesus said, I'm going to build the church And when Satan runs into the city and closes his gates, he will not be able to stop the body of Christ from coming in and crashing the gates. In other words, the body of Christ, the church, the church universal as well as the local representations are to exist to move ahead for God helping people to become disciples. Yes, we should care for one another, absolutely. And, you know, we should take care of whatever needs we can, but we can't lose sight of the fact that God expects us to be moving out around this city, this county, around the world as we are able to do so, and working to make disciples. Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the commission that God has given to every Christian and to the church. And so we've got to view the church as that outpost, outdoing God's work in the place of warfare. Um, What do you notice in that picture? besides the obvious that somebody's getting baptized. You notice anything about the gal getting baptized? What's that? Uh, you know, I wouldn't make that judgment. <laughs> she has a very large tattoo on her back. Now, some of you may like that. Some of you may not like that. I ask this pastor... This pastor of a church of 300 in a town of 1,500, a pastor who's grown the church by 200 in his seven or eight years that he's been there, I said, hey, can I use this picture because I want to illustrate the idea that not everybody looks just like we'd like when they come in the door. Yeah. He says, hey, you know, I know what the backstory is on her, and this is all public, but I won't share the whole story, but her life is, was Messy was nearly a Jerry Springer show. And, and she got right with the Lord and got baptized, and her husband got right with the Lord, and they got married, and they're part of the church, and they're serving the Lord. You know what? Winning people to the Lord these days, making disciples these days, is always going to be messy. We like to look and say, he'd make a good Christian. And you know what that means? That means he's, he looks pretty good already. What did Jesus say? I haven't come for the well, I've come for the the sick. And we've got to have that image in our mind saying we're here to make disciples, we're an outpost in God's army, and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be messy, but that's the work that God has called us to. Now here's one last thing I've learned about the church. I've learned that I don't have all the answers, but God does, so I'm continuing to seek them. I'm not here telling you I know it all today. Trust me on that. But I know that God's got the answers for the body of Christ, and so we're seeking those. Now, let me turn my attention in a different direction here and just say, here's a few things I've learned about life. Again, for those of you that that don't know our story, my wife had cancer for 25 months. We knew that it was going to be terminal from the beginning, Um, The doctors were really hesitant to say that, but after a while, we understood that. And and so we walked through that, and she went to be with the Lord uh, earlier this year. So what have I learned in these last couple of years? I've learned that the confidence of relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is powerfully real i love these verses from romans 8 for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear when you came to faith in christ that's the the unspoken uh, subtext here when you came to faith in christ you didn't receive the spirit of bondage like god has got you in handcuffs and shackles but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out abba father daddy The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. If you're confident of knowing God as your Father, Christ as your Savior, the reason is because the Holy Spirit came into you when you believed, and He is there making you confident. It's not because you believe so much, it's because the Holy Spirit makes it real. And the more we walk with the Lord, the more real it becomes. And the the natural outcome of that in, uh, in the last part of this chapter is this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The confidence of a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is real. I don't know if Sue's illness and death were the result of satanic attack, as he did with Job. Understand that God does give Satan that leeway sometimes. I don't know that that's the case. It could be that God was trying us as he did Abraham. You can read in Hebrews 11 where it says God put Abraham to the test, in case you didn't know that God does that. But what I do know is that my father was always with Sue and I. I never felt like I was alone. There may have been loneliness. There may be loneliness now since she's been gone, but there's never aloneness God is always with me. There was a particular day when Sue was in the hospital back in uh, January where she said, boy, I just, I just felt really lonely today and I just wanted somebody to come visit me. And I picked up my phone and I was going to call somebody and say, come visit me. And she said, the Lord just said, you just rely on me. <clears throat> and she, she shared this with me. So I went home and called a couple people. <laughs> and they came right and visited her, spent the day. I didn't tell her that I'd called anybody. By the end of the day, she goes, You won't believe what happened. <laughs> alone, lonely but never alone. The confidence of relationship with God. Um, I've learned that the peace and joy and purpose of Christ are real, no matter how great the difficulty of life may come. I would say this is one of the great blessings of the initiation of this trial. Um, I was kind of shocked, and kind of not shocked, when when they say it's stage four T-cell lymphoma, which we've never even heard of. Nobody has, hardly. And... And we, we looked at that and said, okay, that's today's word, now what are we doing tomorrow? And honestly, um, I'll share with you why I think we were at that point, but the peace and joy and purpose of Christ are real no matter how difficult things may come. Listen as I read to you from, uh, from three chapters of John, three specific words of Christ John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Could I just say as kindly as possible, if you're having difficulty and you're not at at peace, it's not because the peace that God offers is deficient. Because he offers us and he he, he, he imputes to us the peace of Christ. Christ. And we see what he went through, and he was still at peace. He stood there in front of Pilate and answered not a word. That's the peace that he offers us. And, and it was so amazing to, to, to start into this and go, That's real. I, honestly, I never had any big trials in my life till then. Not nothing that I would consider that big. And man, that's so real. From chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus, again, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The joy that God gives us is the joy of Christ. And so if you find your joy deficient, it's not because God hasn't given you enough. It's because somehow the words of Christ haven't remained in you enough. And then the third uh, blessing that he promises in in chapter 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken to you and me that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus never promised an easy life, but he did promise peace and joy through the difficulty. And then he also promised purpose. To our difficulties. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. I'm not quite there yet. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces Perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. You see, God is using our difficulties to make us more like Christ, to give us more of him. And we have to understand that and and embrace those difficulties and let him make us more like Christ. Now, there are other things that I am in the process of learning but I haven't fully learned them so that I might summarize them but let me just pull it together this way in terms of the trials and what God wants us to learn broadly God wants us to constantly he wants to constantly take us deeper in our understanding of him and our trust in him Remember in Ephesians 4, he said we're supposed to speak the truth in love so that we grow up, so that we're not rocked by the winds of doctrine. One of the the good things and one of the frustrating things about growing up in the Lord and getting old in the Lord and growing in his word is I see the winds of doctrine and I'm not fooled by them, (laughs) but it's hard sometimes to convince other people there's a wind blowing, you need to avoid it. we can grow deeper and stronger in the Lord. And that is the broad purpose that he wants to work through all these difficulties. I've also learned the importance of accepting the sovereignty and benevolence of God. I hope you know the story of Job at least a little bit, how God allowed Satan to greatly test Job, who was a righteous man, and here's Job's initial response to, the, to losing everything in his life. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Let me ask you some questions. Does God have the right to take things away from you? Now, don't don't raise your hand. Don't nod your head. Don't make a commitment. Don't write a check you can't keep. You can't cash. Does God have the right to take things away from you? I, what I'm, what I, I, I could, with each of these questions, I could just say this. Is God God? Does God have the right to shape you Into the likeness of Christ by whatever means he deems necessary. Do you like to call yourself a servant of Christ? Or is he your servant? Now, trust me, I'm not happy that Sue is gone. I wasn't happy for her to suffer and for me to have to watch that for 25 months. But many years ago, we both put our faith in Christ, and we put our lives in God's hand. And so when this thing came, we didn't waste time arguing with God over his plan, through my discussions with people who have also lost a loved one at my age or close to it, many people from the college that I attended uh, and, and others around, I've come to understand that this is a primary challenge that if you haven't grappled with it before your loved one dies, you will grapple with it after. Does God have the right to take your loved one home and to leave you alone? We both put our faith in Christ and in his sovereignty, and so we were free to enjoy his joy and peace in the midst of the suffering. Now, here's a slightly different lesson that I've learned. I've learned that it's easy to focus on the small amount of negatives and fail to fully appreciate the vast majority of positives in a wife or a family or a church. Now, I'm being honest with you here. My wife was an exceptional woman and a great pastor's wife, but she wasn't perfect. And neither am I, in case you didn't know that. You get more perfect after you leave than when you're here. So (laughs) there's hope for you yet, Kyle. Kyle. Now I began to learn this when my kids were young, my, my kids are mostly over here, and uh, I found myself coming in the door at the end of the day and immediately noticing everything that wasn't right, and notice everything that wasn't done. Am I telling the truth? <laughs> Maybe it's been long enough you can't remember. Good, that's good. And, and I don't know what happened, the Lord just said, Dave... You got pretty good kids, and they are doing a bunch of stuff, so maybe you could notice something good first, and then come after the, the, what needs to get changed later. Okay, I'm a man. I can change if I have to, I guess. But that's, as the years go on in marriage, it's easy to fall into that trap there too. Eh, not quite right here, not quite right there, and so on. You know, there's a lesson that I teach in premarital counseling, and I also teach it when people are having marital crisis. And I, I talk about how God, you know, Adam was alone, and God said it's not good for the man to be alone, so he's going to create a woman for him. He created what Adam needed, but he did not create a duplicate of Adam. Okay? And and what I tell people is, I don't know what the differences between men and women are, because God doesn't tell us. And when you read that book that purports to tell you what the differences are, as soon as you're done, throw it in the trash and go back to the Bible, because nobody knows exactly what those differences are, but there are differences. And as you spend years in marriage, you begin to, okay, she approaches things one way and I approach things a different way, and... What I tell people approaching marriage is, Hey, look, those differences are there from God to enrich both of your lives. You should learn from him. He should learn from you. And together, you will be more than you were apart. They should enrich you. But if you're not careful, they'll enrage you. Because you'll focus on what isn't the same. Turns out I needed that lesson myself. I've learned the importance of growing consistently. Listen to this from 2 Peter. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. The these things refers back to the earlier part of the chapter, especially verses 5 through 7, which lays out a whole plan of spiritual growth. Add to your faith virtue or obedience. Add to obedience, knowledge. Add to knowledge, patience. Add to patience, perseverance. Add to perseverance, godliness or dedication to God. Add to your godliness, brotherly kindness or relationship and helping each other. And then add to that, sacrificial love. He said, if those things are yours, you won't stumble. What's the stumbling he's talking about? He's talking about when a difficulty of life comes or when a sinful temptation comes and you trip over it and fall into that bad way of living. And he says the, the, the protection from stumbling is spiritual growth. And so here's a little principle I hope you'll remember if you don't remember anything else today. The trials of your life have value for today and they prepare you for tomorrow. In other words, God brings a difficulty your way. He wants to teach you some element of patience today. But if you keep learning those lessons of patience and, 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 and all of those different qualities, if you keep learning them, keep learning them, keep learning them, someday people are going to look at you and say, my, you're a fine, godly saint. Thank you for your example to me. And you'll go, what are you talking about? Because you will have grown up. And when the obstacles get bigger, you'll juke and you'll jive and you won't fall. And it's not because you're such a great person. It's because you've allowed Christ to grow you up, grow you up, grow you up. The same is true of the pastorate. Man, I can remember I can remember sitting in that front row when I was an associate pastor, green as could be, and I'd, I'd look at my pastor, get up front and talk, and I'd think, man, he always knows the right thing to say. How does he do that? I'll never be able to talk like that. Well, yeah, if you keep working at it, working at it, growing, 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 God is going to do that for you, and you'll be ready for greater things and greater things. Unfortunately, if I could put it this way, some of the greater things are greater trials. But the good news is, the greater trials takes you more into Christ. And there is a great sense of satisfaction that being able to not stumble, being able to weather the storms of life, but it takes consistent growth. This is one of the projects I did on our house up on the hill in Ferndale. Got a guy with a backhoe to dig this out. The, the, the hill used to taper down within a few feet of the house. And I thought, well, I'm, I could get more house there, and my neighbor could, or more yard, and my neighbor could get more yard, so I'm going to build me a block wall. This was 2007. That's one of those years that I cemented in my mind for several reasons. But, but I, th- I knew this project was coming, and I thought, you know what, I'm not in that great of shape. And I better start working out, otherwise lifting all those blocks is going to hurt me. There was 35,000 pounds of blocks. And so I started working out, working out, working out, working out. But I didn't work out enough. And that's when my back problem started. I, I got uh, some bulging discs and results of that that are with me to this day, uh, you know, 13 years later. I tried to prepare for what I could see coming, but I was too late. I was too late. You can't see what God has in your future, but what you can do is you can work today on the spiritual development that God wants you to do today, and you will be ready for the things that are coming. The last thing I've learned about life for me is this, I've learned that God's call on my life has only deepened. And uh, you say, well, what's God's call on your life? Well, uh, for many men, if not most of them, who end up in the full-time pastorate, there's there's a point at some time in their life when God seems to really say, you know, I'd like you to be a pastor. And somehow he impresses that on us. For me, it was tied together with my with my giving myself to Christ fully, dedication, if you will, and saying, I'm I'm gonna stop living my own life and start living the Christ life. And and I started to know the joy and peace of Christ. That's why that's been a a theme for me, the joy and peace of Christ and the purpose. And immediately I felt this this impression from God where he said, Wouldn't you like to help some other people avoid the frustration you've been living in? And I thought, yeah, that'd be cool. And From that day to this, it's been a straight line. And what I'm telling you today is, through the difficulties I've been through in the last two years, and and please, I'm not painting my difficulties nearly as big as what my wife went through. I, I realize that. But through what we've been through, what I've been through, it's deepened my sense of call for these reasons. I can't imagine going through illness and death without Christ. I can't imagine going through separation of death without Christ. Now, make no mistake, it hasn't been easy, but I'm telling you, I sleep every night. And I wake up with purpose in the morning. And I can't imagine going through this without the body of Christ, especially my close Christian friends who were so supportive and so kind to us. And so right now, that burden of helping people means helping pastors and churches be more fruitful in their disciple making. Whoops, I did the wrong thing there. There we go. In my last doctoral class, uh, the subject was preaching and uh, somebody said, why are you taking a class on preaching? I said, I wanna get it right before I retire. (laughs) And the teacher was a wonderful uh, godly man, a few years older than me, and and, uh, been down the ministry road longer than I have, and we had a great time uh, studying preaching, and I had to write some sermons and get his evaluation and so on. He would say what I've just shared with you is not a sermon, because a sermon has to have a point. It's got to have a key point. Uh, Some people call it the big idea or that sort of thing, and so... Just to make sure I get an A on today's sermon, which won't be turned in, by the way. Here's the point. Here's the big idea. The Christian life is well worth living. And that includes the body of Christ, the local representation of that here. It's well worth living. I want to urge you to enter into the Christ life if you haven't. I want to urge you to enter into a more dedicated Christ life if you haven't, and to realize that the stuff of life, whether it's a job or a home or a relationship, it only matters as it factors into your life in Christ and your service to the world and the body of Christ. I hope you'll, give those, uh, you'll consider those thoughts as I uh, attempt to sing a song today which is going to share my burden for myself and I hope is your testimony for you as well.
1: This is my heart's cry, I want to know the one who saved me and gave me life. This is my heart's cry, to be so close to him then all my life becomes a testimony of my Savior's grace and love. This is my heart's cry, this is my heart's cry, much more than just a great desire. It's like a fire in me, I hear my heart cry. Each time I think about the cross where Jesus died, the cross should have been mine. His love broke through time He heard my heart's cry Now every other hope and dreams Lost sight of this one thing Know the one who died for me Live my life for Jesus Christ my heart's grow So let my life become a testimony my Savior's grace and love. This is my heart's cry to stand before the Father one day and hear Him say well done. This is my heart's This is my
0: heart's blood. let in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, you know where I fail to live up to that aspiration. And I pray that you'd help me to live up to it more. And I pray for this church, this great church, this much-loved church. I pray that you would help them to aspire to great fruitfulness, not greatness, not growth, not size, only the size that you bring, only the growth that you bring, but the fruitfulness that can be seen in Christians developing and in new disciples being made. Father, bring that fruitfulness. Help them to find the ways to do it in these days which are so challenging for many reasons. Help them, Father. May you be honored. We pray in Christ's name, amen.